Hello everybody, this is our 10th sermon looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are in Matthew 7 verses 13 to 23 and the title for this is The Two Ways. Have you ever been driving on a motorway when all of a sudden the overhead gantries begin to flash up that a lane is closed ahead? It's often the outside lane and cars start to move over to the inside. Inevitably, the traffic slows and soon you're at a standstill. However, whilst you are sat there, you notice that some cars are still speeding past in a now empty outside lane. They're ignoring everybody else and taking their opportunity to get themselves further up the queue. It's infuriating, isn't it? What makes matters worse is that they always seem to get away with it. But perhaps one day they won't. Perhaps one day as they speed on past, they will come across a worker laying out cones and not have time to stop. Perhaps one day they will plough into the back of a broken down car. Of course, they will never have meant to do this. They will be distraught at the damage they do to others and themselves. They will protest that they're not bad people. But the reality will be that they've become conditioned to ignoring warnings and getting away with it. They will have become hardened and unthinking. A lifetime of little choices will have set the direction for a future disaster. In this passage, Jesus has finished the main body of his Sermon on the Mount. So he now exhorts his listeners to reflect on what they've heard and to consider carefully the choices laid out before them. He makes it clear that the decisions they make have serious consequences. Those consequences may not all be experienced in the immediate, but a direction will be set that lasts for eternity. The choice is simple. There are only two ways. Follow Jesus to life or ignore his warnings and meet death. There is no middle ground and of course the decision made will affect those around us as well as ourselves. To fully understand this passage it will help us to picture the audience around Jesus as he speaks these words. For three chapters now Jesus has been preaching this great sermon high up on a mountain in Galilee. Gathered round him, closest of all, are the disciples, hanging on every word, trying to take it all in. A bit further out are the Pharisees and the religious leaders, trying to act ambivalent, but making sure they hear what Jesus is saying because they want to catch him out. A bit further out than them are the crowds, ordinary peasant people desperately in need of some good news. To each of these groups, Jesus has a warning. The crowds must decide whether to stay on the edge or push to the centre. Will they choose to follow Jesus or not? The religious leaders must recognise their culpability in leading the people astray and choose whether to keep going with it or not. The disciples must check their hearts in order to make sure they are truly members of God's kingdom and not just mouthing empty words of loyalty. With each of these warnings for each of these groups of people, a choice must be made. Are you with Jesus or are you against him?
This is a big decision. The consequences are eternal. Which way are they going to go? But as we shall now see, all three warnings are just as relevant to us today. So as we read this passage, the same question comes to us. Which way are we going to go as we read? The first warning sign in verses 13 to 14 is of the narrow and broad gates and roads. And this is the warning for the crowds around Jesus. The old walled city of Jerusalem still today has several gates, some with wide roadways that cars can get through, some with steep narrow steps that only pedestrians, their animals and the odd handcart can get through. If you go to the walled cities of York or Stirling today, you can still see some of the same. Jesus' listeners would then have been well familiar with the imagery. Some gates were wide enough for several people to pass at once. Some you would have to queue up and wait your turn to go through one by one. And with this familiar imagery, Jesus' message is stark. Do not just go with the flow in life. Do not allow the crowds to set your pace and direction, just carry you along. Stand out and take the road less travelled. We need to bear in mind that the Jews were familiar with the language of there being two paths in life. In their old ancient writings there was the idea of these separate paths, the path of obedience that led to blessing, the path of disobedience that led to judgment. So when the ordinary crowds heard Jesus' words they knew very simply what he meant. Those who enter the wide gate and find themselves on the broad road are heading for destruction, whereas those who enter the narrow gate and find themselves on the narrow road are heading for true and abundant life. The broad gate and the broad road are inviting. They offer plenty of room to travel. There is a sense of ease and comfort for those travelling this way. As a result, it is the way most travel, the way of the crowds. This then is the picture for the, the cultural norms of society. Back then to travel the Broadway was to subscribe to the teaching of the popular religious leaders. Today it's to live a life defined by materialism, liberalism. I can do and believe what I like. It doesn't matter. Everyone's the same. I just focus on making money. That's the way to be comfortable. Well, for then and today, the comfort that comes from following the clouds is deceiving because the end result is destruction. Instead, then, we must go the other way. We must put our faith in Jesus and follow him. The narrow gate and the narrow road is much more restrictive. It is limited access. It's for the minority. Each one of us have to believe for ourselves. The narrow gate is believing solely in Jesus. He is the only way to God. Forget what the other religions and the agnostics say. The narrow road is living the life of discipleship, which is the essential choice after passing through the gate. A believer must follow Jesus' instruction, not the laxity of the world. And already we know full well that few will walk this way. Few will abandon worldly living to walk the path of faith. The gate is small, the road is narrow. This is a road of hardship and difficulty. 
As we walk, there will be trouble and affliction, persecution from the popular crowds. There will be the need for self-denial and obedience rather than reveling in the excesses of the world. To the majority, this road is far less appealing than the broad one. But do not be fooled. The destiny of the narrow path is eternal life. So warning sign number one for those in the crowds is stark. Are you going to believe in the Jesus who you hear saying these words and walk his life of discipleship? Or are you going to go with the ever-increasing crowds and follow the easier path? The decision is yours to make, but do not be fooled. The decision has consequences. Please choose life and not destruction. Please do not just carry straight on, because as in our opening motorway illustration, you're heading for a crash. Choose Jesus. One of the reasons the narrow path was so hard was because as believers walked it, they would encounter false prophets. Those religious leaders, revolutionaries and lone rangers who were determined to lead the people astray, to divert them off to a wrong turning, either back to a Judaism that rejected Jesus or off to another ungodly religious set of practices were all about making them feel important. But in verses 15 to 20, Jesus issues his second warning sign, and it's against exactly these sort of people, particularly those from the Jewish elite who would try to discredit Jesus and wrestle the people back into their fold. Immediately we see Jesus warning just how scheming and cunning these false prophets could be. At first glance, they seem to be genuine members of God's flock, if you were to judge them only by their talk and who they hung around with. But beware, Jesus says, their intentions are evil. They are like wolves in sheep's clothing, wolves who ravage the flock for their own gratification. Watch out for them. Do you remember two weeks ago in verses 1 to 7 of this chapter, Jesus was teaching and not judging others. And he set up this great spectrum. We're not to be hypocritical, legalistic and judgmental on one hand. But on the other hand, we're also not to be naively accepting. And just admit anyone into our community, no matter how they behave. Well, here Jesus gives the same advice for dealing with false prophets. Believers must be discerning when these people come into their midst. They may seem very pious people at first. They may even appear to speak fine words. But watch out. Be discerning. Do not be taken in. Instead, you're to look for fruit in their lives. You're to look for a product to all their fine words. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this, but how do you know that I'm not a false prophet who stands here every week leading you astray to my own branch of religion? Well, first you should look at my words. Are they consistent with the gospel and what Jesus taught? But more than that, you need to look at my work and my life. Is it consistent with all that Jesus has been showing us in this Sermon on the Mount? I hope you'll find that it is. If it isn't, you need to challenge me. But I hope you now get what Jesus is saying here. False teachers are like weeds, thorn bushes, thistles. They may only look like a healthy plant at first, but they never go on to produce pleasant fruit like grapes or figs. Instead, they choke the young plants around them, cut off the nutrients and draw blood with their harmful thorns. Be in doubt, false prophets can do a lot of damage. 
Back then, Jesus was issuing a stark warning to the believers about those people who tried to sidetrack them off the narrow path, maybe by offering them an easier way, a life without obedience, a life without having to stand up to the crowds for Jesus, a life that would see them merge back into those crowds. Jesus says, watch out, these are bad trees, they produce bad fruit, do not follow them. Today, Jesus might be warning us against those who try to water down the gospel. Those who try to say to you, well, you don't really have to go to church. You don't have to try to become like Jesus. Just behave how you like. He loves you anyway. Those people who try to teach that money and prosperity and fame, well, they're the ways to comfort. These are all false prophets. Do not let them sidetrack you off the path of Jesus and discipleship. But whether back then or today, the warning that Jesus gives to these false prophets themselves is even more devastating. God knows what you are doing. And you know what? Bad trees are good for nothing except for being chopped down and burnt as firewood. False prophets, you will be judged. So again, there is a stark choice with no middle ground. Are we going to stay on the narrow way and journey the ever upward course of discipleship, hard as it may be at times? Or are we going to allow ourselves to be distracted by people who promise us comfort and ease? Again, the decision has to be made and the decision has serious consequences. Please, please stay on the narrow path and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus' third and final warning is not aimed at the crowds and it's not aimed at the religious teachers who were listening in but at those standing closest to him as he gives this great sermon. This is a message to the disciples. And I think this is one of the gravest warnings in the whole of scripture. Not only will there be false prophets trying to force their way into the community of believers, but within that community itself, there will be false disciples. Just listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That is a chilling warning, isn't it? It makes us sit up, pay attention and stop taking things for granted. There are people who declare Jesus is Lord with their mouths, but have not repented in their hearts and entered into the kingdom. Even in this passage, Jesus reveals himself as worthy of the title Lord. He is the only one who can judge our lives and offer out reward or punishment. So the title Lord is totally appropriate for him. But the problem is that there are people who call Jesus Lord without realising what it means. People who make this oral confession of faith whilst hiding an unrepentant heart. So I'm sure for all of us that raises the question, how do we know? How do we know if others or even ourselves are saying the right thing without really being part of the kingdom? Well, the good news is, is that if you are honestly asking that question with a fearful heart, it is not you. But clearly you're not trying to pretend. You really want to honour God. For that is what Jesus again sets as the criteria of a true disciple. A true disciple is not just one who says the right things, but the one who does the Father's will. A true disciple will try to live a life of discipleship. A true disciple will want to become more like Jesus every day. 
A true disciple will strive to be a light to the world, which is what this whole sermon has been about, because they honestly want other people to know God and enter the kingdom for themselves. These then are the signs of real believers, not just a few pious words. In fact, Jesus goes even further than that in verse 22. We're not to be mesmerised by powerful deeds and acts done by other so-called Christians. They may well speak good things and prophesy and help others understand the faith. They, they may well even do powerful things in the name of Jesus. But this doesn't mean they truly believe themselves. Because God can use anyone to do his will, even his enemies. Do not be fooled. Calling Jesus Lord, performing mighty deeds counts for nothing if your heart is not right. Jesus doesn't want just the external signs, he wants our internal being. Jesus wants repentance that produces the fruit of a changed life. Jesus wants a relationship with us. There is no hiding from this choice. Jesus has the authority as king to determine who enters his kingdom. Jesus has the authority to banish evildoers. There's no higher claim than that. Jesus knows our hearts. He is God. He is Lord of all. And so again, there is a stark decision to be made, a decision with no middle ground and no grey areas. Do you know Jesus? And more importantly, does he know you? It is again, for the third time, a question with eternal consequences. Be half-hearted, pretend, say the right things, but never really give yourself to God. Or go for the full relationship with Jesus who loves you and give your heart to him. Choose the second one. Your future depends on it. So there we have it. Jesus is starting to draw this sermon to a close. And as with all good sermons, it's finishing with a great challenge that we are to respond to what we've heard. The crowds had heard about the kingdom. A kingdom that welcomes the poor and the grieving and the broken in the world. Would they now choose to believe in Jesus? Live a life for him and enter that kingdom? The religious teachers had heard Jesus proclaim the, the way to follow scripture and live out God's will. Would they now follow along the narrow path and stop trying to convert the people back to their old ways? The disciples, those closest to Jesus, would they truly believe and live all out for God and his kingdom? Or were they just pretending to be one of the gang? Would they now go on to give their lives for the king? Three big choices, no middle ground. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Think carefully. The warning signs are there. And if you today are still wavering over what decision you are going to make, remember the opening illustration. A lifetime of little delays or opting for the easiest route can be unwittingly setting us on a dangerous course. Jesus is not wavering. He chose to die for you. And as a result, he offers you love and life today. Accept it fully in faith.